We live in a world of constant distractions and continuous interruptions. And there's one thing mostly to blame, and it is this. This thing that we can't live without. This thing that if we lose, you would rather lose one of your four kids than lose your mobile phone. This thing that we spend so much time on has become the greatest distractor and the greatest interrupter of our lives. Have you been talking to someone ever or sitting having coffee with them? And this thing pings, they leave it on the table and it pings and you're in the middle of telling them, you're pouring your heart out. You know what I mean? Your girlfriend has just dumped you and you have tears running down your face and they're like, just give me a second. I've just got a message. Oh, it's all right. It's just a notification. It's all right. It's all right. And you just in that moment, you suddenly feel completely unimportant. Between text messages and WhatsApp groups, Facebook and Instagram, notifications and reminders, emails and alerts. It's so hard to focus and concentrate on anything. If there's any teenagers in here, I guarantee right now you're dying to get onto your phone while I'm preaching. Don't do it. You will burn in the dark place if you do that, okay? They have uh, estimated that uh, 16 to 29-year-olds spend three hours a day on social media. Some of you parents will not be remotely be surprised by that. That's about 20% of your waking hours spent scrolling through other people's lives. As adults, we spend uh, one hour and 39 minutes, and uh, millennials who are the in-between spend two hours and 30 minutes. So the average person in the world today spends two hours and 22 minutes on social media. That is insane. That is crazy. And we wonder why we are so distracted. We wonder why we are so interrupted. And it impacts our lives. They've shown that it impacts our mental health, but it also impacts our relationships. It impacts our ability to communicate and have real conversations. Because when you're talking to somebody, it's hard to do an emoji face. Do you know what I mean? There's some of them that are easier than others. But we've got so... Like, kids don't know how to spell words anymore. Because, you know, it's like they've learned text speak. And they're like, you mean... you know, you, you spell this word like that and not like that, but that's how I've always spelled. All of this distraction and interruption is influencing and impacting our lives, and it also impacts our relationships. We are a generation that is interrupted and distracted constantly and continually. And we're going to see today that this isn't always something new, that actually even in Jesus' day there was distractions. In Jesus' day there were interruptions. There were different types of interruptions Jesus faced. There were different types of distractions that Jesus faced, but he dealt with them in different ways. And we're going to think about how we deal with some of those distractions in our lives. How do we deal with some of those interruptions in our lives? How do we deal with some of those noises and voices in our lives that are seeking to divert our attention away from the things that God wants us to do? We started this little series called Daughters last week, and we began thinking about just this guy called Jairus. And the first thing we find out about Jairus is this. He is a synagogue ruler. In other words, we find out his position. He's an important man. He's an influential man. He's a man of position and status in the community. People knew who he was as he walked down the street. Jairus was someone who was kind of a big deal. He was a religious leader. And at that time, the religious leaders were growing in their hostility towards Jesus. But it says Jairus came to Jesus and threw himself at his feet. Why? 
because he's got a little girl. We find out later she's 12 years old and she's, she's sick and dying. We don't know what it was, but literally she's in her final moments. And as much as Jairus wanted to protect his reputation and wanted to protect his friendships with the religious leaders, when your little girl's dying, you will do anything. When your child is sick, you will do anything. And so he comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, will you come to my house and will you place your hands on my daughter? Because if you do that, she will be healed. Not she might be healed, not there's a chance, but he has complete faith. And we saw that faith moves the hand and the heart of God. That we don't want to become hyper-faith where we say if you're not healed, it's because you didn't have enough faith. We don't want to become those people who are, you know, if you just have enough faith, you'll get a Rolls Royce tomorrow. If only that were true, okay? But we are a people who, as we read Scripture, we see that faith moves the hand and heart of God. God responds to faith more than pity. God responds to faith more than petition or even prayer. There is something about faith that when God sees faith, he says, I want to step in there and do something about that. And so many times in Scripture, we see phrases like, your faith has made you well. Your faith has healed you. But we also see him say to the disciples, he was amazed because of their lack of faith. Or he could do few miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. So there's something about faith that moves the heart and the hand of God. So Jesus sees this faith in Jairus and he says, I will go with you. I will go to your house. But as he's on his way, he's distracted. He's interrupted, not by a mobile phone, but by a lady. There's crowds all around him. He's, he's literally being crushed. He's being mobbed. Jesus is a celebrity in the first century. It's like some of you old enough remember the Beatles. I remember seeing some of those videos. Not that I was like watched it literally at the time. I've seen them since then. I'm not that old. But, um, but the Beatles getting off an airplane and just being mobbed by swarms of, of girls mostly. Um, it's called Story of My Life. Um, but uh, in my dreams... But not my dreams, my single dreams before I met my wife. <laughs> I normally do all of this in the first service when we're not live streaming. And I tone it down for this one, but you're just getting the unfiltered Craig this week. Um, but, but Jesus has got these swarms of people around him. And he's trying to make his way through with this guy, Jairus. And there's another woman in the crowd and she's trying to make her way through the crowd. Because she's got a bleeding condition. And we're told that she's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't even find out her name. See, if Jairus was identified by his position, she's identified by her condition. She's just a woman with an issue of blood. That's what we know her as. She's a woman who for 12 years has been bleeding. For 12 years she has been unclean. For 12 years she has been excluded by society. For 12 years she has been a religious outsider. And on the surface, Jairus and this lady have zero in common. But we began to see there were these little connections. This little girl's 12 years old. This lady has been bleeding for 12 years. As life was coming into the world 12 years ago, life was starting to drain out of the world. As this little child was being born, this girl started dying. But the other connection is this, that in both cases we read they threw themselves at the feet of Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much you earn. Doesn't matter what your job is. 
doesn't matter what your bank balance is, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what your postcode is, doesn't matter what you drive even. At some point in life, you're going to face a, a desperate need that you cannot fix on your own. And at that point, you need to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. And it doesn't matter who you are. If you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, he will respond. He doesn't care about your bank balance or your background. All he cares is that you're willing to come to him and throw yourself at his feet with faith. And so this, this woman has one thing in mind. She says to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Again, faith, not I might be, I will be. And she shouldn't be there, but she weaves her way through the crowd and she grabs hold of his robe. And it says immediately two things happened. Immediately she felt in her body something shift, something changed inside her. The bleeding stopped. But immediately Jesus felt something had happened. Jesus felt power had gone out of him. That's incredible. Because he says, who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus, probably a better question right now is who didn't touch you? But he says, no, I felt power leave me. Now, there were hundreds of people touching Jesus, but only one of them had faith. And that faith made a withdrawal on the power of God. That you're, that's the only word I could think of. That, that was like her faith literally pulled the power out of Jesus and into her body. And all she wants to do is slope off into the crowd and hide. But Jesus says, no, I'm, somebody touched me. And it says eventually when she realized what had happened in her body, she came and it said, it said she told him the whole truth. Other translations, actually, I was reading this week, said she told him the whole story. She told Jesus the whole story. Which sounds really nice until you remember Jairus is standing here. And Jairus' daughter is still dying. And every single second counts. And how many of the men know that when you tell your wife the whole story, it's a completely different length of a story than when your wife tells you the whole story? You're being sexist, Craig? Possibly. But ladies, your husband comes home from work. How was your day today, darling? How many words do you get? You normally get one syllable. It begins with F and ends with ein. That's as much as you get. How was your day? Fine. Okay, thanks for that. I really know all about your workplace. Man, you don't even have to ask. You will start to get stories about... Julie at work and what she did at the weekend. And you're thinking, I have no idea who Julie is, even though your wife has worked with her for the last 17 years and she's actually your second cousin. But it doesn't like, you're like, who is Julie? And, 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 and you'll get the story about what she did on Saturday morning and then Saturday night. And, she did, and you're like, you're thinking about the football. You're thinking about what's for dinner. You're thinking, and, and you know, so this, this woman's telling Jesus the whole story and Jairus is starting there going, this is lovely, but I have a little girl and she is dying right now. She is dying and every second counts, but Jesus isn't perturbed or disturbed. Why? You see, we never see Jesus fluster. We never see Jesus stress. We never see Jesus anxious. We never see Jesus rush about. Why? He always walked with purpose. He knew that no matter what time he arrived, it was always the right time. It might have been late for us, but when Jesus arrives, it is always the right time. And that's 
what we're going to see here. And we saw this lovely picture just as I come to this next part of where Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. And we had that beautiful picture because Jairus is here pleading on behalf of his daughter. But this girl, the outsider, she has no daddy who's pleading on her behalf. And so Jesus calls her daughter. He not only heals her body, he restores her identity as a child of God. To everyone else, she was unclean to Jesus. She became a daughter. And now we've got another daughter in verse 35. While while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid Just believe. And so they're starting to make their way to Jairus' house. And some of the people from the house come and they pull Jairus to one side and they say, Jairus, we've got got some news for you. Your daughter's dead. And in that moment, I'm sure his heart absolutely crumbled. In that moment, I'm sure he was devastated. Just yesterday, we bumped into a lady and I said, how are you? And she said, today's the day of my the anniversary of the death of my son. He died one year ago today. And we just for a second began to think about, imagine, imagine. And, and even as we thought about it, our eyes filled with tears, at the, at the, even just the contemplation of it. And this man, he's just been told his 12-year-old girl, she's, she's dead. And they said, don't bother Jesus anymore. It's, it's too late. What, don't bother. Why bother, it actually says. Why bother? And you know, when God wants to work in our lives, there's always a voice that says, why bother? When you're trying to make a change in your life, there's always a voice that says, why bother? When you're trying to deal with some deep-rooted issue in your life, there's always a voice that says, Why bother? When you're trying to advance in life, there's always a voice that says, why bother? When you're applying for a job, why bother? This is the 18th job you've applied for in the last six months and they haven't even written back to you. Why bother even trying to get better? Why bother? Why bother? Why bother? Sometimes it's a voice out there from some other people. Sometimes it's the voice of the enemy and sometimes it's the voice in here. Why bother because you failed the last time? Why bother because it won't work out this time? Why bother? I was talking to a friend yesterday and, you know, he, he has been on dates with this girl and he was, he was just describing the relationship and I, I said to him, has she been engaged before? And he said, yeah. And I said, she's had her heart broken and when she is out with you, her, in the back of her mind, there's a, why bother? <laughs> this is just going to happen again. But look at what it says. It says... Ignoring them, Jesus said, just believe. Ignoring them. Jesus says, Jesus just ignores them. He, he, he actually just doesn't even listen to their voice. He just tunes them out as if they didn't say anything. He, it's as if he doesn't even hear what they're saying. And you know, 
there are some voices in our life that right now we need to ignore. I'm sure some of you have seen, maybe some of you watched the Nolan show this week. For those of you who are watching overseas, Nolan is a real big celebrity here in Northern Ireland. Um, he's a, a talk show kind of host. And every, you know when he was chasing people through the four courts of petrol stations? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then all the responses on Facebook on Nolan, calling him, you know, everything. Saying I'm surprised you were able to run after anybody and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I shouldn't read through it, but I, you know, I, I, and, and I thought to myself, you know what? These people are so angry and rightly or not so. You've got a remote control. You didn't have to watch the program. There are some voices right now that we need to choose to ignore. There are lots of voices in our world right now telling us why bother. It's true, we're all going to die, or do this, or this is going to happen, or this, or this. And there are so many conflicting and competing voices, and there are some things that we just need to ignore right now. There are some things that we actually just need to shut out. There are some distractions, there are some interruptions right now that we actually just need to ignore. Because everybody, believe it or not, has an opinion. And everybody has an idea about how you should live your life. And everybody has an idea about how you should raise your family. And everybody has an idea about how you should have your relationship. You know, when we moved to Dublin in 2011, some of the, the most important voices in our life at the time told us, don't do it. It was in the recession, particularly in the south. said, Becky, you will never get a job. Craig, the church you're going to, some of them were ministers and they were aware of the church. They said, don't go to that church. The previous two ministers are out of ministry. It's a mess. It's in debt. Do not go there. But we went because God called us. Five years later, when we were leaving, the, same, the exact same voices said, don't leave. Why would you leave? That's crazy. Why would you leave that? You aren't, you've nowhere to go to and you've got it set and you've got a great life. Why would you leave? And what I've discovered is that And if you listen to everyone else's voice, you will be torn in all these other directions. But there's one voice that you need to follow. There's one voice that you need to listen to above every other voice, and that's the voice of Jesus. You see, the people saying to Jairus, don't bother, she's dead, they were trying to be helpful. They were just stating the facts as they knew them. And the facts were true. The little girl was dead. But they were stating the facts from the perspective of minus Jesus. Because once you bring Jesus into the equation, the facts and the truth are completely different. They were stating the facts and they were trying to be helpful. And very often the people in our lives who are speaking into our lives, they're genuinely trying to be helpful. But unless Jesus is at the heart of what they're saying to you, sometimes it can be less and helpful. And so Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. That doesn't sound very sensitive to me, to a man whose daughter has just died. That doesn't sound very pastoral. It could sound like one of those awful, pious Christian platitudes, you know, where you go, sure, they're in a better place. Oh, sure, you know, they're, they're, 
at least they're not suffering anymore. And when we say things like that, we genuinely mean them and we're trying to do our best. Because we have nothing else to offer at that moment. But when Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, it's because he has the power to make a difference. See, if you come to me and you say I'm 50 pounds in debt and I go, don't be afraid, just believe and walk off. That doesn't do much for your 50 pounds debt. But if you come to me and say I'm 50 pounds in debt and my electricity is about to be cut off and I go, don't be afraid, just believe and I pull out 100 pounds and give it to you, that makes a difference. And when Jesus says here, don't be afraid, just believe, it is because he has resurrection power in his back pocket. He has all the authority to raise the dead in his back pocket. And so when Jesus says it, it's not some pious platitude. It's not some nicely religious thought. It is a a declaration of the end is not the end. What you have been told is the end is actually not the end. I have the resources to change your situation. Look at verse 37 with me. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Notice that first sentence. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. Take note of that. So Jesus gets to Jairus' house. And they're already in full mourning mode. If any of you have seen some of those Middle Eastern funerals, you know, where they're wailing and they're crying and they're screaming, that's kind of the picture here. It was kind of in that culture, the more grief you expressed, the more love that you had for the person who died. And Jesus gets there and they are in full mourning mode. There's crying, there's wailing, there's emotion, there's tears, there's screaming. And Jesus walks into the middle of it. And I began to think, just think of the last 10 minutes of Jesus' life. He has just come across a a lake. He has got off a boat. There's a crowd swarm him and swamp him. There's pushing, there's shoving, there's interruptions, there's desperation, there's expectation, there's jostling, there's demands, there's bad news, there's crowds, there's noise, there's crying, there's wailing. Can you imagine what that was like? Some of you who have got three kids at home, that's just meal times for you. That's just dinner time. But, but how, like, how overwhelming, and yet Jesus just walks through it all. And look at verse 40. It says, after he had put them all out, he took the child's father, that's Jairus, and mother, and the disciples who were with him, and went in to where the child was. Jesus walks into this house where there's all this screaming and crying and the first thing Jesus does is he takes control over the environment. He says, everyone out. Get out. Not very Christian, sure it's not. He clears the room of everyone except five people. Peter, James and John, mommy and daddy of the girl. Why does he do that? Because right now, that room is filled with so much unbelief and so much negativity and such a lack of faith that Jesus will not do what he is meant to do in that situation. And that is bring that little girl to life. 
And so Jesus clears the room. Literally, the word in the Greek is expel. It's the same word as they use for for expelling demons in the Bible. Jesus kicks them out of the room. They have more right to be there than Jesus has. He's the outsider coming in. These are family. These are relatives. And yet Jesus says, get out. And notice it says he only brought Peter, James, and John with him. I always feel sorry for the other nine. Like, this isn't the only time this happens. When Jesus goes up to the Transfiguration Mountain, he brings Peter, James, and John. When Jesus goes to Gethsemane, he brings Peter, James, and John. The other nine must have been like, is there something wrong with us? But Jesus was incredibly intentional about who he allowed into his inner circle. Remember being at a concert years ago and there were these guys walking around with passes that said access all areas. And what that meant was they had access backstage to where the performers were. They could get through doors that I couldn't get through. They could get through doors that 99% of the crowd couldn't get through because they had access all areas. Some of us have access all areas in our lives and we wonder why we get heartbroken so much. We wonder why Our relationships are a mess. We wonder why we're so exhausted. Jesus was incredibly intentional about who he let into his inner circle. And at this time in our culture and at this time in our history, can I say to you that I think it is vital that you become intentional about the voices and the people you let into your life. Not everybody has access all areas to your life. In case you hadn't noticed, life's hard this year. Like, this feels like the longest year in the history of humanity right now, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure during the war it was tough, okay? I'm not, like, diminishing that at all, okay? But this year just feels like the longest year ever. And just trying to keep your faith up, trying to keep your spirits up, trying to just keep your joy up is a battle. But when you surround yourself with faith vampires who suck the faith out of you, it becomes even harder. When you surround yourself with people who are just constantly quoting the latest figures of how many infections there are and how many people have died and how we're all going to die and how you shouldn't go out of the house and how we all need to lock ourselves up for the rest of our lives and wrap ourselves in bubble wrap because we're all going to die. That is exhausting. Some of us need to be be more like Jesus. WWJD, what would Jesus do? He would keep some people out of his life. You see, Jesus entered the life of many, but he didn't entrust himself to many. It says that in John's gospel in John 2. Jesus didn't entrust himself to any man because he knew what was in the heart of man. See, Jesus had no problem with walking into an environment. He just didn't let the environment get into him. And we can't control the noise out there. We can't control the crowds. We can't control the emotions. We can't control the news. We can't even control Stephen Nolan, okay? What we can control is what we allow into our lives. We can control the voices that speak into our minds. We can control those things that we feed our minds on every day, those things we watch, those things we read, those things we listen to. 
They're the things we can control. And guys, if you are going to get through this season with a modicum of faith, standing strong in Christ, can I say to you, there are some things you just need to shut off. There are some things you need to put out. There are some things you need to block. And some of them might even be people who you love. And they might even be well-meaning people. But every time you're with them, you're like, I have just lost the will to live again. Like, I love you dearly, but seriously, if I have another 16-minute coronavirus conversation with you for the fourth time this week, I will literally, I will walk into a hospital and, and try to get it just to get away from you for a while. <laughs> like, seriously. Some of us just need to be more f- filtering and more selective right now. If we are going to keep strong in our faith, if we are going to stay positive in our faith, if we are going to walk through this, negative people will be negative. Don't expect them to do anything else. They will find good company. Misery always finds company. I choose right now to surround myself with people who are speaking faith, people who are speaking life, people who are speaking hope, not people who are speaking death. Because even though they might be telling the facts, I choose to put my trust in Jesus. And when Jesus comes into the equation, the facts and the truth are often very different. And so Jesus realizes that this girl cannot get up if they don't get out. And he would rather risk offending people than see this little girl die. And some people who you meet every Monday afternoon for coffee, and right now you're already dreading it as you think about it tomorrow. Some of them will be offended if you're like, can we just take a break for a few weeks? Oh, I can't offend them. I can't offend them. Stop trying to be nicer than Jesus. There are some people and some things in our lives right now to preserve your own sanity, your own mental health, and your own faith and your own well-being, you need to have a get outside. I just need to have a wall here. I need to have a gate here. I need to have a barrier here because I, I cannot allow what you have to infect and affect me. Remember visiting a drug rehab center, not for myself, um, a number of years ago, and it was in the middle of nowhere. It was run by Teen Challenge, and young people who, most of them were people who were addicted to heroin and other, other drugs were living there. There was a guy's side and a girl's side of the, the building. It was incredible. But I remember I was driving down to visit it, and I couldn't find it on a map. I couldn't find it on Google Maps. I couldn't find it on my sat-nav. I got there and I said to the guys, guys, I needed a prophetic word of knowledge just to find this place. And they said, Craig, that's exactly the way we intend it. Because these people are trying to get off drugs and the biggest influence in their life is their peers around them. And if they have access to their peers, they will go back to their old ways. And so we need to completely cut off the voices that are influencing them and trying to pull them back to a life of destruction. And maybe it's not as serious as that for you. But right now, I would say this is fairly serious, that some of us right now need to be really selective in what we allow into our minds and what we allow into our hearts. And there are some really good, well-meaning people out there that we just need to hit pause on in our lives for a little while and say, I love you, 
but I cannot listen to this conversation again. And I'm just going to put this on pause for a little while, but it doesn't mean I don't love you dearly. I choose today to surround myself with faith builders. I choose to surround myself with people who speak life and hope and healing and faith. And I choose not to surround myself with people who speak negativity and death. And we're all going to die. I can't change them, but I can't change who I allow into my life. And there's always something at stake. Jesus was risking offending them because the little girl's life was at stake. And there's always something at stake. You know, you're, you and I, we, as much as we don't like to admit it, we're finite human beings. We have limited capacity. We have only so much, you know, imagine your life's a bucket. There's only so much capacity there. And if you fill your life with negativity and fear constantly, there's not much room for anything else. And sometimes I think God's trying to do something new in our lives. God's trying to bring us something new. God's trying to bring new relationships, new jobs, new things into our lives. And he's looking and he's going, I have no room. I have no room in your life because it's filled with so much other stuff. It's a bit like on your phone again. You ever try to take a photograph and, uh, and it says no storage? Sorry, sorry Chris. And it says there's no storage And you have to make a choice in that moment. What is worth deleting to make space for the new thing? You have to delete something to let something in. Some of us are trying to just keep taking more in and we're wondering why it's not working. And it's because there's some things in our life actually we need to delete right now. There are some things in our life that we need to to remove to create space for the new thing that God wants to do. And so Jesus walks into the room And he says, this little girl's not dead, she's just sleeping. This little girl's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they all laugh at him. Look at the last two verses as we finish up. Jesus took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I said, you get up. Immediately the girl stood and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. There's two things I want you to see here as I finish. Jesus walks into the room and he says, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they laugh at him. Why? Because she was dead. But Jesus says, no, she's not. And I believe that there's some things in your life right now that you think it's dead. And Jesus says, no, it's just sleeping. It might look dead, it might feel dead. It might feel hopeless, it might feel pointless. But I believe Jesus would say to you right now, that thing, that dream, that passion, that desire I placed in your heart that hasn't come to pass because it hasn't happened, you assume it is dead. But when I come in, when you give me space in your life, I will speak to that thing and it will come back to life. It's not dead, it's sleeping. There's things that we call dead that are actually just dormant and they're waiting for the breath of God to come upon them. There are some things in your life right now, it could be your marriage It could be a a relationship with a child. It could be a wayward child. It could be a sickness. And you're thinking, there's no hope. It's done. It's finished. We've had the diagnosis. It's finished. And God would say, no. When I come in, 
everything changes. It's not dead, it's just sleeping. It's not dead, it's just sleeping. It's not dead because when I speak to it, it comes to life again. And some of you who have given up hope in a certain area of your life need to allow Jesus to speak life into that place and to see it come back to life. The second thing is this. Jesus takes the little girl's hand and she comes back to life. This girl who was dead was ceremonially unclean, but Jesus grabbed her hand anyway. This woman with the bleeding condition was unclean, but Jesus let her touch him. And Jesus takes this little girl's hand, and in that moment, the life of Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus, flows through his arm into her hand, into her body, and she wakes up. And can you imagine what's the first thing she saw when she opened her eyes? The face of Jesus. What's the first voice she heard? The voice of Jesus. You see, death wasn't the end when Jesus arrives on the scene. And at this time, when there's so much fear in our culture, what's the real fear? What is the real fear? It's death, isn't it? That is the real fear right now. It's death. It's not even getting the virus. It's dying. But as people who follow, if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to say to you, death is not final. There are things worse than death and that is dying without Jesus. (laughs) If you have Jesus in your life, why are you so afraid And I'm saying that with compassion, but I'm saying it with as much force and boldness as I can because I just don't get it. We are Christians. The whole foundation of our faith is that Christ was raised from the dead and therefore death has been defeated. And we're all scared of death. Really? There is a disconnect between our creed and our conduct, between what we say we believe and how we live. And I know you'll miss your loved ones. And I know you want to see your children grow up. So do I. But I will not spend my life being afraid of dying. I will not put my life on hold because I'm afraid of dying. Because I follow one who went to the cross, went to the tomb, rose again, is at the right hand of the Father, and no matter what happens, he is in control. And if I die, I go to be with him. And if I live, I I, I live with him in my life and in my heart. It is a win-win. There is nothing to be afraid of unless you don't follow Christ. Then you should be really afraid. But if you are a follower of Christ, I would say to you, banish anxiety from your heart. Do not let fear of death control you, but follow the one who says it is not death because if you are in me, it is just sleeping. And you will open your eyes and you will see my face and you will hear my voice. And so can I just encourage you and challenge you today in the midst of everything that's happening To ask yourself, why am I so afraid? What's the worst that can happen? And if that happens, is it really that bad? We put our trust in Jesus. We pray for the government. 
We thank God for the scientists and the doctors and all of that. But we put our trust in Jesus Christ. The one who defeated death. The one who is in control. The one who is Lord of our lives and Lord of our church.